Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back and the hay fever has well and truly hit the English side uh, of this particular duo, Simon Head and Shamat Karsandu, uh, back online to chat all things mixed martial arts. And I'll tell you what, Sandu, the, the weather has got hot and sticky here in the southeast of England and I am suffering with the hay fever. Mate, I feel you because it's the same thing over here in Toronto. Um, I think it's it's consistently hot now and that's when you know that summer has well and truly arrived it's uh, in, the, in the high 20s low 30s now at the moment consistently and, and apparently we're meant to be kind of touching towards mid to late 30 degrees at some point later on this week which will be uh, something interesting to, to test my body through because uh, it's always weird when you go through like a Toronto winter and you kind of you know have to kind of layer up and then all of a sudden bang it's summertime and uh, you've got to Gotta swap out the old wardrobe, but uh, hey, listen, I ain't complaining. I'm not complaining whatsoever because I'll take this any day of the week. Well, that's that. That is the weird thing about Canada, right? You do get you do get the real sort of heat in the summer, but it's fucking freezing when it's cold, isn't it? You've got the proper extremes of temperature, whereas over here in England, it's basically just grey and miserable for the most part, and then any sign of the sun and everyone goes slightly crazy um but it, yeah it's it's been it's been quite sticky today and uh we've had the pool out in the the paddling pool out in the back garden i don't have an actual pool um because i'm in england we don't do those sorts of things but um yeah paddling pool in the back garden we've had the sprinkler on the kids have been charging around getting soaking wet so it's been good and speaking of getting wet we're going to get our feet wet this weekend with some live mma action you see what i did there great <laughs> and, transition uh, sorry Oh yeah, yeah, what a pro. And uh, the UFC are back in Las Vegas, pending approval from the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Uh, UFC on ESPN 9 is due to take place at the UFC Apex, um, the multi-million dollar facility right next to the UFC PI. And um, that's going to be the home for the UFC in the United States for the next the next couple couple or three months, I would imagine. While all this uh, COVID stuff gradually starts to gradually starts to power down a little bit over there, um, but we're waiting for the approval. I'm assuming they've been given a bit of a nod and a wink already. Otherwise, all of this could get pretty embarrassing. But there's a big fight at the top of the card, Sandy. Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. Uh, big fight at 170 pounds. Um, just how big though? How big is this in the context of the divisions? You think? Well, I think we're gonna get into it a little bit later on with regards to the Kamaru Usman situation because right now the champion of the division of the division doesn't have a fight booked, which is interesting. So lo and behold, we we've got a fight coming up, an event coming up this weekend, and the main event is a, a clash of welterweights, one being the former champion who lost to Kamaru, and this is his first fight since he lost to Kamaru Usman in Tyron Woodley. And on the uh, the other side we've got Gilbert Burns who's on a really really good run and uh he's a, he's actually the, the first guy to have actually uh i believe if i'm not mistaken fought in an empty arena which was the brasilia card which was the first one when things with regards to the pandemic were all kind of going crazy uh, and and i think he's a again correct me if i'm wrong simon but i think he's the first fighter to actually back-to-back headline cards during the pandemic era in terms of fighting with with no fans is that correct yeah, I believe so. I believe so. We've not had that many, have we? So it's, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, we've had guys who 
I know this card has got a load of guy has got a load of guys on it who have fought at the apex before, um, having come through the contender series. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, the experience of fighting in a completely empty arena, but with the full UFC event setup, that's pretty rare. I mean, literally, we've had four cards, haven't we? We had the Brasilia card, and then we've had the three cards down there in Jacksonville. So this will be the only the fifth behind the behind closed doors full-on fight card that the UFC has run. And uh, yeah, Gilbert Burns was on the first one and uh, now he's on a second one. And uh, it'd be interesting to to hear from him during fight week whether he sees that as any kind of advantage at all. But he's in some pretty good form though, Sand. I mean, he's five wins in a row. Um, he, he kind of fell in love with his striking a little bit, a little bit earlier in his career. He had a run of knockouts and then he stood and traded with Dan Hooker at UFC 226. Uh, during International Fight Week a couple of years back and paid for that. And he seems to have balanced his game out a lot more. And he looks he looks like a legitimate threat now. And uh, this is a huge opportunity for him. If he can get past Tyron Woodley, then, uh, you know, he's knocking on the door of a title shot. It's a huge opportunity for him. But as for Tyron Sander, I mean, as you just mentioned, he hasn't fought since he lost the belt to Kamara Usman. It's been a long time. And uh, what kind of Tyron Woodley are you expecting to see on fight night? Because it has been that long, isn't it? Well, looking at his social media, looking at some of the interviews he's done, some of the sound bites, he he seems to be very fired up. He seems to be focused and zeroed in. I'm just shocked and surprised that it, it's taken so long for him to get another fight. Uh, not just booked, but actually to see him in action again. And, and of course, we were supposed to see him fight Leon Edwards in London this past March, but then you know the world changed. But it's been a while, and typically champions who kind of lose a fight, lose their title, they they want to try and get back on the horse as quickly as possible. Um, so big spotlight on Tyron Woodley because I I really genuinely feel as though given the situation where the North American fighters are essentially, especially the guys that are in the U.S., are locked in that border. With, with, with the lack and, of travel and, I guess, all the European and especially the fighters in the UK and, and Ireland, they're essentially waiting for this fight island uh, to be solidified so they can, you know, get their fights, um, you know, going again. I feel like a big performance from Tyron Woodley. Hey, Kamaru Usman, rematch, let's do it. You don't have a fight book. We're both in the US. The UFC are looking to book Kamaru as soon as possible. I feel like he can put himself in the conversation i don't I, i'm not saying he would deserve it i'm not saying that uh it's the fight that i personally would want to see uh but i'm just saying with a big performance and a big win and he could put himself and insert himself back into the conversation with regards to gilbert burns though this is an opportunity to get that signature win he's got some really great names on his resume you know Gunnar nelson damian meyer uh, there's, there's some you know, names that everybody is very, very much aware of. But to defeat a former champion and, and one that's been around uh, at the top level, at the elite level, you know, for such a long time in Tyron Woodley, that is something that will definitely put your, you know, allow you to put yourself in the equation to say, hey, I want the title shot next. And it'll be interesting to see, depending on who wins, what they do with that platform, what they do with post-fight interviews and press conferences and all the rest of it, and then how much pressure they can apply to that situation going on right now with the UFC welterweight champion and a potential opponent. Yeah, they, they do have a common opponent as well. They have bought, both fought Damian Meyer before. Um, Tyron fought him when he was sort of basically at his peak. 
um, as the UFC World Weight Champion and went all 25 minutes with Damian Meyer. And Gilbert Burns fought Damian Meyer in Brasilia uh, back in March and finished him in just uh, just over two and a half minutes. So that right there tells you the danger that Gilbert Burns actually brings into this matchup. And I think the biggest enemy for Gilbert Burns this weekend will be impatience. I think if he can keep a hold on his nerves and just go in there and let things flow, he could cause a shock on Saturday night. I'll go on record now. I have picked Tyron Woodley to win um, in my MMA Junkie staff picks, which are an absolute shambles this season. After saying that I won the title last year, it's all gone a little bit, it's all gone a bit Pete Tong so far this year. But I've got Tyron winning this one. But I wouldn't be that surprised if Gilbert did did something special on Saturday night because I think he's got it in him to do it. Um, he's a great character as well. I bumped into him um, in December last year. Um, he was doing Quintet Ultra. Um, and uh, he was he, he, he was really good fun to talk to back then. And um, yeah, I think he's one of those guys who, much like Leon Edwards and Kamara Usman, actually, when they were moving their way up that division, he was one of those guys who everybody knew was legit, but nobody really wanted to fight because there's not much of an upside. They don't have a big superstar name and any huge pulling power so when they actually get to the top you know they've really done the hard yards and uh, really have merited their spot so good for Gilbert Burns that he gets his shot um, how, how do you see this one panning out have you got a prediction for this one Sandu I don't know how it's going to pan out I don't I don't see it going the distance to be honest I, I do see a finish because uh, they're both explosive fighters. I'm picking Woodley as well. I'm, I'm with you, Simon, on that one. Um, I, I feel like Burns has, hasn't had the competition that Woodley has faced in, in the octagon at that elite level. And I, But I will say, the one thing Burns does have going for him is the fact that he was preparing for a five-round fight and, and he did get a, a really good win um, recently. And so now that he's a, got an opportunity here to actually kind of go ahead and, and try and defeat an elite level fighter in Tyron Woodley that can absolutely change his career so I'm not saying that Burns doesn't have a chance he absolutely does but I'm picking old tried and tested uh fire in Tyron Woodley and one that seems to have a lot of uh have his fire relit should should I say yeah and he's coming into this on the back of two training camps because he would have had a training camp for Leon Edwards and then he's had an additional training camp for, for for Gilbert Burns so the Brit Packer are, are united in uh, selecting Tyron Woodley to get this uh, this this big main event win um, but obviously you you just mentioned earlier about about Kamaro Usman and Masvidal Sandu yeah so since we've been off the air for the past week social media and especially fighters in that kind of lightweight welterweight uh, division at the top end some of the biggest names of the sport have uh, have been very active. It all kind of kicked off with Conor McGregor kind of essentially, you know, making his list of who the greatest of all time is, and we can get into that in a little bit later on. And and everyone chirped up and had their say. I agree. I disagree. And you know, got the one thing Conor McGregor always does. He gets a reaction uh, from fans, from media, from fighters. And so some of the I guess shrapnel or the collateral damage or some of the. Uh, the, the after effects of that conversation was was all him Masvidal and uh, him and Nate Diaz were kind of chirping up a little bit on Twitter and, and essentially it got down to Jorge tweeting out let's run it back and that kind of took me by surprise because I thought 
all roads were leading towards Kamara Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. They've got history. They don't like each other. Uh, that's very well documented. Uh, they had a confrontation at Super Bowl week in February in, in, in Miami, Florida, I think it was. And so, and, and it makes sense. You know, Jorge Masvidal had a fantastic 2019. He's the current uh, one of one BMF champion. He's got lots of history in the welterweight division. And it makes a lot of sense for Kamara Usman in terms of having a dance partner in Jorge Masvidal, who is a massive star, easily uh, a top five draw slash star in the UFC right now. But who knows? You know, if you start to kind of read the tea leaves or kind of read between the lines, perhaps, and all we can do at this stage is speculate, but perhaps talks and negotiations behind the scenes to put this fight together have broken down, which has kind of prompted Jorge to kind of almost revisit uh, the Nate Diaz rematch that a lot of folks wanted, given how the first fight ended last November in Madison Square Garden. And so if that's where things are headed with Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, if, that, if that's where things are trending, then what does Kamaru Usman do? And then all of a sudden you had Ali Abdelaziz, Kamaru Usman's manager, essentially say, hey, look, if we can't put the Jorge Masvidal fight together, then we will give Conor McGregor, of all people, uh, a, a title fight opportunity at 170 pounds, which was kind of bizarre and uh, a, a little bit hilarious because... He's the same guy that said if Conor wanted a, a rematch with Khabib, he'd have to win 10 fights in a row. And all of a sudden, Kamara loses, or perhaps it looks as though he's losing the Jorge Masvidal fight. And who do they call or who do they want to, to, to replace Jorge in that title fight? None other than the biggest draw in the sport in Conor McGregor. So that's what went down. That's kind of my two cents on the situation in terms of how I'm reading the, the, the situation behind the scenes and, and what potentially is going down. How did you digest all of that side well the first takeaway is Jorge Masvidal is a man with options he may actually have more op more legitimate fight options than anybody even more than Conor McGregor potentially let's think about this the Kamara Usman fight is the natural fight to make right the BMF champ taking on the uh, the undisputed welterweight champion so that's fight number one you got the Nate Diaz rematch there's the Conor McGregor fight which I think is arguably the biggest, the biggest fight the UFC could book right now. I mean, John Jones, Francis Ngannou would be big. Conor McGregor versus Jorge Masvidal would be insane. And I have a feeling that that is a fight that we'll, that we'll see in the next 18 months. But I think we won't get to see that until we've got crowds back. That's my, that's my thinking with that. There's also the Colby Covington fight floating under the uh, sort of floating under the radar as well. Colby wants to get back in there. Colby's going to want to fight somebody with some clout because he believes he's still a, le a legitimate title contender, and he is. So he's going to need to face and beat somebody with some real with some real divisional clout. And Jorge Masvidal may be that guy. They've got a bit of history, so he's got a few options there. And um, Another option you could potentially throw in there, and we'll talk about him a little bit later in the show, is Leon Edwards. Um, that They've got a bit of history as well. So, Jorge Masvidal has more options than you can shake a stick at. He's sorted. No matter what direction he goes in, he's getting paid. Good for him, right? Kamara Usman is in a bizarre position. I mentioned, you, I mentioned to you earlier about Gilbert Burns, Leon Edwards, uh, Kamara Usman, all come in kind of... I kind of group them together as fighters that people don't really want to fight because... They don't, they don't bring the same clout. 
However, Kamaru now has that gold belt and he still isn't the top dog in the division. It's really bizarre because now the manager for Usman is almost canvassing Conor McGregor for a fight, which this is completely the wrong way around. Conor should be the one trying to earn a fight with Kamaru Usman where, you know, Ali Abdelaziz wants to put one on a silver platter for Conor, which is, as you said, bizarre. So the whole thing's absolutely mad. I mean, I think the fight to make is the Masvidal fight. Masvidal versus Usman. That is the fight to make. For whatever reason, it looks as if we might have deviated from that. The Nate Diaz fight is a very, very good uh, second place. If Conor McGregor gets a sniff of another belt in a third division to make history again as the first ever champ, 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 or triple champ. I mean, blimey, he's, he's muscling in on Henry Cejudo's triple C territory there. But um, three three division UFC champion, Conor's going to be all over that. So um, it's, uh, it's, in, it's fascinating and... It wasn't that long ago that the lightweight division was where all of the intrigue was, but it seems it's, it's now at 170. Connor, of course, can move back to 55 and open up options there as well. But, man, I don't know. I mean, if I was matchmaking the division, I'd be doing Masvidal for the uh, for the title, to be honest. But given the way that things are at the moment, I, I can kind of understand why they might do things a little bit differently. But, yeah, the good news is we're going to get some big fights, Sandu, no matter how this all pans out. It's going to be it's going to be fun, whichever way it shakes out. Yes, yeah, interesting to see how this all shakes out because when you're, when you're the champion in Kamaru Usman and it looks like the Jorge Masvidal fight isn't going to happen and you've got potentially a Conor McGregor as a plan B because your manager has kind of floated that idea around. It could happen. And, of course, the, the allure of being a three-weight champion and, and getting a, a legitimate UFC championship belt back around your waist is a massive incentive for Conor McGregor. But it does kind of put a different spot or a bigger spotlight on the overall situation with regards to fighters becoming champions and trying to position themselves into fights where they can make the most money. So who's got the power, right? So Jorge Masvidal has, again, just reading the tea leaves, tried to negotiate a deal with the UFC to get this Kamaru Usman fight to happen. It looks like negotiations have stalled, broken down. They can't get a deal done. So he's now looking at the Nate Diaz fight. So now who's got the power when it comes to a Conor McGregor subbing in for that potential fight? It's Conor McGregor, right? Now, would he get a deal done? Does he want to get a deal done? Does he want to give um, you know, another one of Ali Abdelaziz's fighters a Conor McGregor payday? Because let's face it, he's the one that's bringing all the attention, all the money, all the pay-per-view draws. So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this all plays out. Because if he says, actually, you know what? I'd rather try and push that Justin Gaethje interim lightweight title fight instead. Because who knows if Khabib will be back anytime soon. He's still got a lot going on uh, with, his, with his dad. And if Conor McGregor goes with Justin Gaethje interim title fight route and they get a deal done there, where the hell does that leave Kamaru Usman then? Is Kamaru then looking at the winner of this weekend? Is he looking at Leon Edwards? And all of a sudden, you know, the idea of making a lot more money with some of the biggest draws and stars in the, in the, in the sport go away. And hey, listen, you're still making money, but you're not making Jorge Masvidal money. You're not making Conor McGregor money. So this is this is the part of the fight game I, found, I find the most interesting. And I can't wait to see uh, how things play out, what, what we are shown on social media versus what actually ends up happening 
in terms of a deal being made because it's it's just crazy to me that we are now in the end of may simon almost almost the end of uh, end of uh, end of may and typically the summer months historically are some of the biggest months for the ufc capped off by international fight week that's always a big uh, pay-per-view weekend conor mcgregor as of right now their biggest star doesn't have a fight booked jorge masvidal arguably uh, the top two top three biggest stars in the sport right now doesn't have a fight booked khabib Nurmagomedov, easily again top two top three star slash draw in the sport doesn't have a fight booked you've got nate diaz another massive star massive draw for the sport doesn't have a fight booked right and we talked about last week how john jones and the francis and fight seems to be kind of you know, stalled at the moment so it's crazy it's fascinating how hey listen we're gonna get big fights we're gonna get lots of cards we're gonna get lots of um you know fights to look forward to don't get me wrong and, and title fights uh, as well but when you're talking about the creme de la creme you know uh the fights and the fighters and the names that your casual fans the everyday joes your, your brother your sister your, your mum, your dad your friends down the local pub the fighters that they know they're not booked right now which is interesting to me so i can't wait to see how this all shakes out you just just listening to you saying all that just gave me a bit of a crackpot theory and i say crackpot theory because this i'm 99.9 percent sure this is just complete fabrication in my head but would it not make if you're the ufc would it not make sense to pump the brakes on john jones versus francis Ngannou? would it not make sense to pump the brakes on Jorge Masvidal versus Kamara Usman. Would it not make sense to pump the brakes on Conor McGregor versus Khabib or Justin Gaethje? Because those are the biggest fights that they can make. If they can hold off on those with the the potential, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not a scientist, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not an infectious diseases expert here, um, but... It's not out of the realm of possibility that we could see MMA in front of fans before the end of the year. Maybe towards the very end of the year, we might be in a position where, you know, we've got crowds back at sporting events again. Who knows? That's the time they're going to want to put those fights on. So does it make more sense to have, yeah, fan-friendly fights? Yeah, get the big names involved. But maybe don't put them in the A-star, you know, the A-plus fights. Put them in the A-minus fights. Put Conor McGregor in there with Kamara Usman. That's still got a lot of intrigue. That's still got the mystique of a third belt and a storyline for Conor. And it's still a champion defending his belt. Put Masvidal in the rematch with with, uh, Nate Diaz. A fight that was already uh, outstanding the first time before it was unfortunately stopped uh, between rounds because of the cut that, that Nate Diaz sustained. It isn't the number one fight you want to see Jorge Masvidal in, probably, um, unless you're a Diaz camp. You would probably rather see him face Usman or McGregor, but put him in the third option fight, which is still an absolute banger of a fight. And you've still got these other great fights further down the line that you can still call upon. So part of me wonders whether this isn't such a terrible idea, but of course you can't rely on all your big guys winning. Uh, Just ask Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz from UFC 196 that threw things into disarray. So, um, it's interesting. There's, there's there's a whole load of ways this could go. The one thing we are going to get are some big fights. And the other thing that sprung to mind when you were talking was uh, the leverage that Connor has. Um, and uh, the fact that Ali is sort of almost offering up the chance to fight for a belt. It's really interesting because 
you got Connor, who's got all the all the box office draw, um, and you got Ali, who manages all three of the belts that Connor wants, right? So he manages Justin Gaethje. He's got the interim lightweight belt. He's got Khabib, obviously, who who holds the uh, the undisputed lightweight belt. And he's got Kamara Usman who holds the welterweight belt. Which, and whichever way McGregor turns, if he wants a a, a a legit gold UFC belt, he's got to face one of Ali's guys. So I find that very interesting and a fascinating dynamic as well. So it's going to be interesting to see who sits where and who fights who and what happens after those fights because things could be completely different by the time this is all gone. I mean, McGregor could face Usman and get absolutely battered or we could be looking at a triple champion. So, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this pans out. But the name we need to talk about now, Sandu, is a name that really needs to be in in and amongst all of these names we've just talked about. And that's Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is the guy who's been... He, he's the guy who's going to be sitting at home looking at these fights this weekend. We're, and he's probably going to be more than a little bit peed off because that Tyron Woodley fight was his fight. He was supposed to be facing him in March at the O2 Arena in London. Um, and uh, that was the event where the UFC were forced to sort of draw their line and sort of pull back from, from hosting hosting events overseas. So he's now stuck in the UK effectively with no nowhere to go and no one to fight. In the meantime... Everybody else is moving on without him. The guy who wants to fight, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the guy he ultimately wants to fight for the belt. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have an opponent, but he's uh, he's actively chasing someone who isn't really in the division. We've got Masvidal, who is a rival of his, who looks like he's going to be facing Nate Diaz, and you've got um, you've got um, Tyron, who's obviously facing Gilbert Burns now. So. I don't know how you're feeling if you're Leon Edwards right now, other than decidedly pissed off, to be honest. He must be the unluckiest man in MMA right now. But, I mean, what do you do if you're him next, Andrew? I mean, it looks to me like his options are pretty slim. He's probably hanging on waiting for Fight Island right now. But, I mean, let's say they open up Fight Island and say, right, okay, middle of June, we're we're in business. International fighters are back in play. Leon's going to be banging the door down asking for a fight. But who should he be fighting? Yeah, I'm not sure to be honest. That's that's the 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 short and end uh, longer bit because everyone he should be fighting is based in the states. He should be fighting Tyron Woodley. He should be fighting Kamaru Usman. They're both they're both in the states, right? So unless the travel restrictions for athletes and you know sports figures can be waived and they can get you know Leon Edwards to fly over to the US, uh, you know it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, and it looks like you know some of the rumors and reports are that. Fight Island's going to be in Dubai, at Yas Island. Uh, not confirmed whatsoever, but that's the the latest rumor that's circulating, and it makes a lot of sense because you know that's a part of the world that the UFC has relationships with the government, and uh, they could easily get European, UK, Irish, and Russian fighters uh, to to over there very very easily. So I'm not sure because this is he is the one guy that I feel for more than anything else. He's riding this, you know, incredible eight fight win streak. The last three of which are against Donald Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson, Rafael dos Anjos. Doesn't get better than that. And the last fight, the last guy that he actually lost to was Kamaru Usman, uh, way way back in 2015, and that was by decision. And in fact, Leon Edwards has never been finished, and he's never been knocked out. He's never been submit, submitted in the in, in the cage. So you've got a guy who's 
in his prime, riding an incredible win streak. And for anyone that likes to, you know, clutch onto meritocracy and rankings and, you know, the legitimacy of, of a win streak leading to fantastic opportunities, i.e. title fights, here's your, here's your, your, your case study right here in Leon Edwards. Uh, it's kind of reminding me a little bit of the whole Tony Ferguson situation because Tony Ferguson rode this incredible win streak and you know was just so so unlucky to have never fought for the legitimate undisputed lightweight title. I really hope that Leon Edwards doesn't end up being uh, another case of that. And who knows? Because you know this weekend, you know, perfect in a perfect world, if Tyron Woodley wins, you just rebook the Leon Edwards fight. In my opinion. Because then you've got Tyrell Woodley, who, who's come back from the title fight loss, and, and he's back on the horse, and he's got another win under his belt. And that makes the Leon Edwards fight all that much more important. And you can legitimately say, right, that's going to be a legitimate number one contender fight. Right there, there you go, done. Right? But I, I just feel as though where Tyron Woodley's trajectory is going to be headed, if he wins, it's going to be, right, hey, I lost to uh, Kamar Usman. I never got a, a rematch. I've won a fight, I want my rematch now, and I want to get uh, another opportunity there. But um, I'm not sure who Leon Edwards fights, because anyone below him in the rankings, it's just, you know, it's Leon Edwards that's putting up all the risk, isn't it? Yeah, it's madness. I mean, I'm assuming, and we know what that can usually do, but I'm assuming that Fight Island will be accessible to anybody. So I'm. Assu- I don't necessarily think that American athletes won't be able to get there, um, but so if we if 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 they can't, then I don't know who the hell Leon Edwards is going to fight because let's run down this. This I've got the I've pulled up the uh, USC's official uh, 170 pound rankings here. Right, obviously the champion uh, we know is Kamara Usman. Tyron Woodley's ranked number one. He's fighting Gilbert Burns this weekend. He's number six. So they're both off the table. Colby's at number two and available. But can they get him and Leon to the same location? We don't know. Jorge Masvidal looks like he's going to be facing Nate Diaz. So he's probably off the table. Then you've got Leon at four. Then after that, he's fighting people below him. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is the next guy. That's potentially a fight they might be looking at. Um, because once you go below that, you've got Gilbert Burns, as we just said, he's fighting this weekend. Damian Meyer is borderline retired at this point. Michael Chiesa's down there at eight. Rafael Dos Anjos has already been beaten by Leon. Nate Diaz isn't going to fight Leon Edwards. Jeff Neal is a fight that Leon Edwards should not touch with a barge pole because Jeff Neal does nothing for Leon Edwards, and he's dangerous. You've got Robbie Lawler, former champ, ranked 12th. No point facing him. Vicente Luque, he's already beaten. And then you've got McGregor, who he's not going to fight, and Anthony Pettis, who he's not going to fight. So there really are very few options left on the table for him. I think if it's not Colby and it's not Wonderboy, then I think Leon needs to just be sitting tight because I think they are they are literally... Well, Usman is, is technically available. Um, who knows? Maybe he does get his title shot after all. I don't know. I mean... That would be that would be a sweet moment for him to get it. Leon Edwards against uh, Kamara Usman um, on Fight Island for the belt. Potentially that 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 could be done, but I, I suspect that won't be because that's probably why Ali is pushing for Connor, right? Because Leon might have been offered, 
<laughs> and he's probably saying, "No, we don't want Leon. We want, you know, we want more money than this. We want, we want the, uh, we want the McGregor fight." But yeah, I mean, Leon is in an absolutely horrible situation. He's earned his spot. He deserves his shot at, at the minimum, someone ranked in the top top two or three. And I don't know whether he's going to get it. It's it's just circumstances turned around and bitten him in the ass. It's not anybody's fault particularly. It's just circumstance and the pandemic has. Uh, has caused him all sorts of problems, unfortunately. The other thing that just came to mind right now, when we're talking about fighters, we're talking about who represents them, managers, management companies, all, all the rest of it. If the Kamaru Usman Conor McGregor fight happens, right? And let's say Conor McGregor beats Kamaru Usman, becomes the UFC welterweight champion. Paradigm Sports Management represents Conor McGregor and also represents Leon Edwards. We know historically. Conor McGregor doesn't really hang around to defend titles. He, he, he wins one and then he wants the next challenge, whether that's going up a weight class, going down a weight class, or trying to get a, a super fight, or trying to get a Floyd Mayweather boxing match. He uses it as, as a platform and, and a way to leverage an, an even bigger opportunity than himself, right? I can't see him saying, right, okay, I'm going to go and give Leon Edwards a crack at my title. I just don't see that happening. Although it would be a fantastic stylistic matchup and, hey, UK versus Ireland and all the rest of it, it'd be great. It'd be fantastic, right? It actually would, yeah. Um, but I just, again, don't see it happening. And, and of course, I'm, I'm thinking way, way, way down the road here. You know, we, we don't even know if the Kamara-Connor fight's going to happen, let alone if Connor can beat Kamara in the first place. But, yeah, it's, it's tough for Leon. And... Um, you know, I think he's been sort of, you know, okay and respectful on social media by at the same time just trying to stay relevant in terms of saying, hey, Tyron Woodley's been running away from me and all the rest of it. It's just a very, very tough situation where you've got this great body of work, you've got a fantastic win streak, but based upon this global pandemic, based upon uh, border control and travel restrictions and and I don't even know if Americans can fly over to the UAE and again then this is all speculation and rumor we have no idea and and I believe if this UFC fight island is going to be somewhere in the UAE they'd want to probably keep that just for your European Russian and, and European and UK fighters because right now all of those guys and girls don't have any fights booked and they're all kind of just you know, waiting and they want to get paid and all the rest of it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's just a very, very, very unfortunate situation. And again, it kind of goes back to this weekend. Let's see what what the result is this weekend. And and, and if I'm Leon Edwards and I'm his management company and, and I'm in his clique, I'm going to be very vocal um, on social media this weekend, uh, especially on the fallout. I'd be booking interviews with all the major outlets come Sunday and Monday just to make sure no one forgets his name uh, based upon what the fallout from this weekend's main event is yeah no totally totally agree with that I mean I think uh, the best he can get out of this is to be the name that everybody's talking about as the next fight Um, but I think ultimately he's not likely to get his big fight until these travel restrictions start to ease up it seems like we're talking about a very small group of fighters on this show and all of their futures seem to be somewhat linked to each other. But all roads point to Conor McGregor, right? And it's funny how a guy who has only fought twice at 155 pounds and has only fought three times at 170 pounds um, 
is all of a sudden the man who everybody at 55 is looking at and everybody at 70 is looking at. It's kind of funny. Uh, and he doesn't hold a belt. So, um, but he's been on, he's been on social media talking about the greatest of all time. And I know you've got, I've got, you've got the, uh, you've got the Twitter thread there in front of you, I think. Um, I thought it was fascinating because, well, well, for a couple of reasons. First off, the way he broke it down, which I completely disagreed with, but there was logic to it. Um, but also the fact that all of the other big names pretty much came out and absolutely buried him in the replies, which I thought was which I thought was very interesting. Like John Jones had a go at him, Khabib had a go at him, Usman had a go at him, I think. Um and you know there were a couple of others, but yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. Run us through this, Sandy. You're a, you're you're the Britpack social media guru, so uh, run us through this and give us the timeline of how all this panned out because this was fascinating and it was the story really in MMA this week. Yeah, I have to say there was no UFC events this weekend. There was no MMA action, but I think everyone that works in the MMA media has to almost thank Conor McGregor because he provided a lot of content for all the sites and for anyone that kind of works in the business because it wasn't just him, it was the fallout, it was the reaction from everyone he mentioned and perhaps from those that he didn't mention in his GOAT list. But th- before I start, the one thing I, ha- I have to say, I don't know if it was a troll job by Connor, I don't know if he was bored or he legitimately believes what he what he tweeted out. The, the thing is, is it's supposed to be a fun conversation. It's supposed. It's not supposed to be taken so damn seriously. It's subjective. Everyone's got their own criteria, and we can get into what you and me believe is or should be the criteria to proclaim yourself to be the goat a little bit later on. But I'll start with the thread itself, and so I'll re- I'll read it out verbatim just so that everyone listening can get an idea of what Conor McGregor said, and then we can get out, get into the the fallout a little bit. So he says, "Goat thread." He starts with Anson Silva. The array of finishes across two divisions with champion status in one. Anson Silva is number one MMA GOAT. My array of finishes across three divisions with champion status in two. I'm number two, if not tied for number one. However, still active, number one is fully secured by career end and easily. Then he goes on to say... GSP is in at number three, Uh, much less array of finishes, but champion status in two. He is far behind, though, reasons being he left the 170-pound weight class after much damage was taken and a questionable decision. He's referring to the Johnny Hendricks fight, of course. Never re-engaged with 170-pound successes, bottled the Anderson fight, only moved when one-eyed fighter presented played safe. He's referring to Michael Bisping there, of course. John Jones is number four, maybe tied for number three. More array of finishes than number three, but still active. But champion status in just one weight class. Reasons are multiple lackluster decisions and performances and questionable decision wins. Attempting to play safe, heavyweight entry and avoiding its champion. And then he goes on to say he, that he didn't mention any PED results on multiple entrants, even though that makes him the clear current number one MMA GOAT, along with still being active. Although it shames as well as puts all runs finishes into complete doubt, I've snored multiple juice heads. A true GOAT must do all. So 
so Conor McGregor there, he's, he's, he's listing a few bits of criteria in terms of how he put his personal GOAT list together. One being champion status, and second being uh, champion in multiple weight classes. Uh, he puts a big deal on the fact if you've knocked out or if you've finished your opponents. And of course, for him, uh, being uh, or having PED or drug use infractions on your record is a strike against you. So I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fascinating. I, I took a poll out and, and I asked the fans who they thought, based upon Conor McGregor's top four, Anson Silva, George St. Pierre, John Jones, and himself, Conor McGregor, who they thought the GOAT was on his list. And a whopping 40% chose George St. Pierre, which is my GOAT as well, as things currently stand. But um, that's what happened, Sai. And then there was all the fallout. All, everyone started to chirp up. You know, you had John Jones, Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Uh, Michael Bisping uh, gave a response yesterday to that uh, one-eyed fighter remark, and you know, again, I think it, I think it was fun, and I, I can almost imagine Conor McGregor just giggling to himself when all these fighters started to kind of chirp up and respond to him, and I'm sure he saw his feed, which has a lot of MMA media members and journalists and fans of the community all debating hey what do you think of this list i disagree i agree and all the rest of it, it, was, it was for me it was fun i don't take it that seriously nobody should be taking the, the the conversation of pound for pound number one or the greatest of all time that seriously it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be subjective and also everybody has their own criteria yeah criteria is is the uh the key here and the, this is the thing you said it at the start this is this is a conversation this is a debate if there was a definitive definition of what determined the greatest of all time we wouldn't be having this conversation there would just be a list and it would be categorized and it would be done with statistics and there would be no argument it'd be right boom there's your number one there is no argument right but this is fight sports fight sports don't work that way you know the sport has evolved so much over the years so that, you know, a fighter who competed in UFC 1 compared to a fighter that competed at UFC 201, you know, they are miles apart in terms of their uh, ability at their peak as a fighter. But that doesn't mean that the guy, like Hoist Gracie, for example, or anybody else from UFC 1, couldn't have evolved into a better fighter in the, in the modern era. So it's, it's apples and oranges. It's really hard to compare. If I was looking to define or look at the criteria that go into defining the greatest fighter of all time, I've got five criteria here and there's probably more, but I've just as you were talking, I noted them down and they're in no particular order, but they are all, they're all very, very important. Longevity is, is the first one. I don't think you can be the greatest of all time. If you're a flash in the pan, I think you've got a sustained success is absolutely vital. Champion status. Absolutely. 100 percent um you've got to be the best the best of your of your time of your weight class i think if you're not the best of that you can't be the best of all time multiple weight classes is a very interesting one yeah if you can if you can take your skills and put them across different weight classes and be a champion then absolutely that's going to bump your stock even higher this is the one that was noted noticeably absent from uh from from connor's assessment and for very good reason, title defences. Winning belts 
is is a massive achievement and very few people get to do it but even fewer get to defend those belts and if you're looking at champ champs there aren't many of those knocking around but there are even fewer champ champs who defended their belts as well so i think that plays into it on top of everything else and then if you want to put an extra uh, a very sort of subjective uh, criteria in there the style of fighter someone like george st pierre absolutely dominant absolutely dominant arguably the greatest champion in ufc history but the greatest fighter of all time some might argue perhaps not because he was very much a game manager as a game plan fighter he did what he needed to do to win he wasn't always the most exciting fighter to watch and that might count against him for some and i also i also wrote down very quickly in a very approximate order my my list of who would be on on the goat list and i've got one a and one b at the top john jones and demetrius johnson are my top two i think they fit all the criteria um with the jones um and uh mighty mouse actually haven't won belts in multiple weight classes but they have been so dominant in their weight class that i think that that puts them up and above because the guys who've won in in multiple weight classes haven't stuck around long enough to have that sort of tenure. GSP, I've got I've got there at three. Anderson Silva, I've got at four. But then you've got Daniel Cormier, I've got on that list. Fedor Emelianenko, I've got on that list. Henry Cejudo, I have on that list because of what he's achieved. Um, people might laugh at that, but go back and look at the man's career. Check the record. He has beaten some incredible fighters at his weight class and above. Um, so he definitely deserves to be on that list. And then if you're talking Conor McGregor, I think he probably slots in behind those guys. So that would make him about eighth on the list. I mean, I think you'd have him and, you know, looking at him and maybe Fedor, they're very different careers. Um, and you can argue the toss over who, who's had the better career. Um, Fedor was unbeaten for almost a decade. Um, there aren't many people who can say that. But then you have to factor in the landscape of... Uh, the competition that he was dealing with at the time, you know, so it's uh it's very tricky. Um, but yeah, I think the number one thing in this is if you if you're going to be a um, a champion, you've got to defend your belts, and that is the, literally the only knock you can give Conor McGregor is that he didn't defend his belts. He's achieved huge things, but if he'd have defended both those belts even just once, I think people will be talking about him as one of the greatest of all time. And not burying him quite so much on social media. I would love him to say, do you know what? This is my weight class, whether it's 55 or 70. This is my weight class. I'm winning the belt and I'm taking them all on. Line them up. I'll knock them down. I'll fight three times a year, four times a year, whatever it is. I don't care. I'm the money fight anyway. I'm earning every time I fight. So line them up. I'll knock them down. Then, if he can do that, then he's in the conversation with Johnny Bones, Mighty Mouse, GSP, Anderson Silva because that's what those guys did um, and uh, it also puts him equal to or above the other champ champs on the list who have already defended their belts so it's a tricky conversation mate but I, I think I think Johnny Bones and Mighty, and Mighty Mouse and would probably GSP at number three they would be my top three so for me and I agree with your criteria the only thing that I'd add to that criteria which is what I use 
is if you have performance enhancing drug infractions on your record and again this is why it's a fun debate and it's a fun conversation because it's subjective and for me if you have those infractions on your record I can't include you in the conversation. I can't, I can't include you. So for me, and the, and the Anton Silvers and the John Joneses of the world are eliminated from any goat talk for me or my personal goat list. Like I mentioned before, GSP is number one and he pretty much ticks almost every single box for me. You know, greatest welterweight champion of all time and to your point, sustained success. He beat multiple generations of welterweights. He won you know, championships in two different weight classes. He, he beat Michael Bisping. He moved up. And the thing about the, the, two, the two championship belts he had in the two different weight classes, the difference between 170 and 185 is a lot bigger than 125 and 135 or 135 and 145 or 145 and 155. And so for him to do that against Michael Bisping, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest middleweights of all time, just given who he fought and given his experience level. Uh, and also the guys that he fought during a time when USADA wasn't around and there's a lot of fishy business going on in the business and a lot of you know interesting physiques that were presented by some of the fighters that Michael was competing against. And to still come through all of that and still you know do what he did and become champion and all the rest of it, fantastic. So GSP also, you know, he, while he wasn't undefeated, the two men he lost to in Matt Hughes and Matt Sarah, he was able to get revenge. He was able to get the wins back. And that counts for something, again, in my book as well. Then there's some other fun stuff that you can throw into the mix when it comes to, was he a big draw? Absolutely. Did he help the UFC grow in the Canadian market? Absolutely. Was he a good representative of the sport? Absolutely. Did he have any PED or drug infractions on his record? He did not. And so for me, he, he, he ticks about as many boxes um, as you can. Uh, for me and when it when it comes to you know okay was he exciting did he get finishes and all the rest of it that isn't such a an important criteria for me because i'm just looking at results wins and losses and for me gsp's got a crap load of wins now if you want to kind of throw you know results and you know how you win fights whether you get submissions and knockouts and all the rest of it yeah Anson Silva's got a great highlight reel. Even Demetrius Johnson's got a fantastic highlight reel. And I agree with you. You've got to, you know, at some point include the Daniel Cormiers of the world into that list. I think you've got to include Daniel Cormier. You've got to include Amanda Nunes into the, into the conversation. You've got to include Henry Cejudo uh, into the conversation, uh, especially with those champ champ statuses. But I, I think it's fun. I just, I genuinely think it's a fun conversation. I think so many people take it too seriously and, and like i said at the top of the, the the segment i feel as though when connor sent those tweets out i was just kind of sitting back and i was looking at the reaction and people getting up in arms and i'm like really you're gonna get this amped up about someone's own opinion it's, it's just an opinion it's fun you know, don't get so bent out of shape out of it. But hey, listen, I thought it was a good conversation. And it was every once in a while, the topic of the GOAT presents itself, especially when you have guys who are still competing. John Jones, every time he fights and every time he has another title defense uh, in, in the books, hey, is he the GOAT? When Demetrius Johnson was still with the UFC and even now, you know, while he's not so much the forgotten man, you know, when, you, when you're fighting in the UFC, there's such a big spotlight on you. He was always in the conversation. And of course, you know, you've got Conor McGregor, 
you know, is he the GOAT in my opinion? No. Does he make the top three, top four, top five? Probably not. Hey, but he is the biggest draw the sport has ever seen. He is the biggest star the sport has ever seen and the sport has right now. And I think he'll take that over whether someone like me or you consider him the GOAT. Here's a question for you then, right? We've just we've just laid out our sort of very sort of hashed out uh, criteria and we've, you know, we've thrown a lot of names out there and shout out to you for mentioning Amanda Nunes. That was a, a massive omission by me. She she should have been on that list I mentioned to start with. Um, the question I want to ask you is, these are all people who are already on the list, okay? They're there. Their achievements are already set in stone and are just being built upon for those that are still going. I want to ask you, give me a name that's not on that list who may be in 10 years time, let's say we talk about MMA's goat and they're in the mix. Is there someone I've got a name in mind. Um, I've got got two names for you. If you want go, go for it. It's Khabib and it's Israel. I think Israel Adesanya. and, and, And in fact, you could even make a good case for Khabib right now. The guy's undefeated. He having the one thing he's got that none of the other fighters have right now. And listen, you know the John Jones Matt Habel uh, situation. Again, for me, he doesn't even enter the conversation because he has a PED infraction. But putting him aside, Khabib's the only one that can on that list that is undefeated. You know, all the other champ champs, Daniel Cormier, he's got losses on his record. You've got Man Nunes, losses on the record. Henry Sudo, losses on the record. Conor McGregor, losses on the record. But uh, but he doesn't, and so I think you've got to throw him into the mix. And also you've got Israel Adesanya, the, the current middleweight champion. He's also undefeated. And I think if you look at the the potential ceiling of him moving up to two hundred five, um, you know, and being able to consistently generate wins in both of those two weight classes, I feel like he is someone that could potentially one day go on to be the GOAT, as long as he, again, keeps himself clean, doesn't get popped for steroids or PEDs and continues to defend his title and all the rest of it. I, th- I think he's the one. Yeah, I, he, he was the name I had in mind. I think I think, uh, I think Khabib, Khabib is, is someone who I think deserve, will deserve to be in there by the end of it. My concern with him is there's nothing wrong with having losses on your record especially if you can go back and avenge them. But I think sort of the um, the trajectory of Khabib's career is such that if he does have any losses before he retires, they're going to be right at the end of his career. And they're going to be the lasting, the lasting uh, maybe not legacy, but they're going to be one of the major moments that people remember when he retires. If he, if he gets beat, if he doesn't get beat, then wow, stick him on the list, right? Um and uh, but let's say let's say what's he twenty eight and zero now? Let's say he gets to thirty and zero, and then he or you know or, or twenty nine and zero, and then he fights Connor again, and Connor beats him. That one loss, I think, will be enough in a lot of people's minds to completely rule him out, which would be grossly unfair, I think. Um, but I I just think that as opposed to if that loss had come on his UFC debut, or if that loss had come in the first fight against Connor and then he goes back and avenges it against Connor and then goes on another winning streak. So I think it's really interesting. The great thing I like about this conversation is there are no wrong answers, you know? It's if it's what you think. 
Um, but in terms of who I think will be on that list in the future, I think Israel Adesanya as well. I think he's the guy. He's the guy who I think has. He's got everything there. He's got the swag. He's got the fighting style. That's the other thing, you know, the uh, the fighting style thing that I mentioned. Israel Adesanya is one of the most fascinating guys to watch. He's a technician. Um, he's spectacular. And he's like watching someone playing a video game with all the cheat codes. You know, he's his, his control of range and space is unlike almost anybody I've seen, maybe other than Anderson Silva. And I think only age caught up with Anderson Silva in the end. So... I think we could be talking about him in the same sort of vein as Anderson Silva, hopefully without the controversy um, in maybe a decade or so's time. Um, and if we are, then boy, we've got some big fights from him in the uh, in the not-too-distant future. And that, he's another guy who can't fight right now, by the way, without going too far into previous topics. He's another one, superstar fighter, but he's down there in New Zealand at City Kickboxing. He's stuck. So he's probably a shoe in for fight island so um yeah i mean who knows maybe they'll bump leon edwards up to middleweight and uh you know the pair of them the pair of them could throw down on fight island i don't know i it's 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 all very very strange right now but um yeah i'm enjoying the whole goat conversation anybody listening to this tweet us on the at, at the brit pack or at simon head or at sandu mma and let us know who your goat is and why there are no wrong answers here i mean cowboy Cerrone is from from a ten year perspective, you could say, you could argue he's one of the greatest fighters of all time because he's been around for so long. Look at all the records he owns. Of course, the one thing he hasn't owned in his career is a is a UFC championship belt. So, um, but he's got to go down as a legend of the sport as well. There's so many there's so many uh, great conversations to have around the old MMA goat situation, but uh, that pretty much ties us up this week, Sandu. It does, and uh, just just to put a bow on the whole goat conversation, I feel like it's easier for the majority of people, fans, media members, all the rest of it, to agree on who the greatest is per weight class than it is overall. And maybe that's something that we can bring up, whether it's next week or in a future episode of the show, where you and me can both list who we feel is those the greatest champion, greatest fighter. Uh, for every single weight class, men's divisions and the, the the women's division as well. So I think that'll be a fun conversation to have and a fun debate to see uh, where we align and perhaps where we differ on our opinions. But yeah, always a fun conversation, and uh, I thought it was it was great that everyone you know chirped up about it over the weekend, and it's a conversation that continuously pops up every now and then in this sport. And yeah, absolutely, like like Simon had said, if you want to send us your your list of your top five, your top three, or your overall GOAT, you can just tweet us at the Britpack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter. I am at Sandu MMA on Twitter. And then on Instagram, it's Simon Head Sport and Sandu MMA. But that's our social feeds. What we really want you guys to do is go to our Substack, and that is the Britpack com. as we've mentioned in previous episodes what we want you guys to do is really subscribe to our Substack, uh, get involved in the community that's where we want to really drive all the traffic of the show uh, and sooner or later once we've got you know a good number of you there we're going to start to open up uh, the forum and start to populate it with questions and and get you more involved in the show both online and offline and uh, you know for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, if you wouldn't mind 
taking about 30 seconds out of your schedule and I'm sure you can find 30 seconds while you're in lockdown mode or in quarantine mode during this pandemic leave us a review leave us a review and give us a good old-fashioned five-star rating because that's exactly what helps us uh, get amplified on the Apple podcast algorithm absolutely and uh, yeah it's it's been great you know the response we've had so far and it's it's been great to get this thing up and running again and now we've got live fights again. It's going to make all the difference. And uh, hopefully now, assuming everything goes well this week with the uh, with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, who meet tomorrow, I think, um, to uh, rubber stamp all this, then uh, that should leave the door open for almost weekly shows. The thing about all this, guys, is the UFC, I think, are contracted for something like 46 or 48 events in 2020. So in order to get all their money... They're going to have to stack the deck for the rest of the year in terms of the number of events. We're going to see more more midweek shows. We're not going to see too many gap weeks between here and the rest here here and the uh, end of the year. So, strap yourselves in. Make sure the fridge is permanently stocked with your cold beverage of choice because you're going to get through a few on fight nights over the course of the rest of this year. Um, look looking forward to the fights this weekend. Some live on BT Sport here in the UK. TSN in Canada, Sandu? TSN is your home for the UFC in Canada, absolutely. And uh, ESPN, of course, uh, stateside. Um, hit us up on Twitter. You've got any questions for the show, we will drop those in uh, next week. But until next time, thanks for listening. Enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye.